following is a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? This is Talkin' Cowboys. Streaming live from the Dallas Cowboys World Headquarters at the Star in Frisco. Hand off, Elliott plowing to the goal line. Barry sacked by Lord. Prescott keeps it, and he bangs it into the touchdown. Hello again, and welcome to another edition of Talking Cowboys 101. My name is Heckman Harrison, and today I have a very special guest. This guy is a part of a company that is taking over pro football, football in general. Uh, these initials, PFF, if you don't know the name, I promise you, you should. And they are standing at the finish line waving the flag on their competition. And this guy is amazing. He's a uh, holds a, a degree from Loyola Marymount in mathematics, a former teacher, and now currently the chief revenue officer, data scientist, and co-host of PFF Forecast. This guy is a genius. He's going to play humble and deny it. However, the one thing that he cannot deny is that he has the best hairline in all of analytics, man. My guy, Mr. George Chahori. How are you, sir? Man, I don't know how I'm going to ever top that intro. That was the nicest thing that just about anyone's ever said uh, about me. But, uh, man, I, I appreciate it. I'm excited uh, to talk Cowboys, to talk football. Um, and everything you said about PFF I think is true, and I'm, I'm happy and excited and, and thankful to be on a great team a lot of people around me that are honestly doing some really cool and awesome stuff so um it should be a lot of fun man i'm looking forward to talking to you oh good george man well listen one of the things i, I gotta tell you i'm a big fan of you guys you and eric you guys are it's <laughs> orgasmic gold listening to you guys i get a lot of my facts from you and eric and i don't know how you maintain a straight face with that guy because i'm telling you he is hilarious but look, yeah. one of the things that I've been doing, and I, I've argued about this part in the segment because I think it's very important, man. But if you could tell me, give me your quarantine chronicles. Give me the cliff notes to what it's been like dealing with COVID-19. Man, uh, first off, I would say, man, I thank, uh, I thank God above for the fact that I still have a job and my health. Um, so that part has been fantastic. And... Um, I don't know what's been harder, keeping a straight face when Eric makes some sarcastic comment that like two people in the world will get, or the fact that I am without a gym, which has honestly been one of the hardest parts of the whole quarantine. I've been quarantining here in DC. I'm, I live in Cincinnati. That's where PFF is. But my girlfriend works and lives in DC and can't really pick where she's going to be because of her job. So I have been annoying her to no end in her small little studio without a gym. And so I've been doing all kinds of weird body weight workouts in this small, like tiny cramped space. Um, and so that's been a huge part of my quarantine. In addition to look every night you sit there and you go, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to go anywhere tomorrow. Maybe one glass of tequila or a, or a glass of wine won't kill me. So that's basically been my quarantine wrapped into one. Man, listen, I feel you. And the quarantine 15 is for real. I'm a sufferer of 15 myself. I mean, look, times like these need chocolate chip cookies, okay? So let's just be real about it. Or another shot of tequila, whichever you prefer. You're so spot on. I feel like everyone, when the quarantine started and I was one of these people, was like, okay, I have all this 
opportunity ahead of me. I'm going to learn a new language. I'm going to read three books that I'd never have gotten to read and I'm going to get in great shape. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh wait, no, that's not going to happen. I'm going to be lazy. I'm going to watch some show that I've already watched three times. And when it comes to ordering uh, ice cream, I'll probably get four, four pints instead of three, because why not? <laughs> George, I feel you, man. Listen, I, I, let's get down to it. And, and the one thing that I, I am so fascinated about with PFF, and I am a paying subscriber <laughs> to PFF. I love you guys. And, and I you up, by the way. Yeah, of course. Of course. Listen, and the other thing is you you and Eric have got to mention me as a friend of the show. But we'll talk about that later. All right. Um, All right. But the thing about PFF that I find so fascinating is, you know, the vision of Neil Hornsby that started in 2017 or 2004. And with Chris Collinsworth, the partnership and taking this thing to the next level. What you guys have brought to football and your motto of judging every player, every play, every game has added a completely new dimension to evaluating football. Like for guys like Will McClay, uh, senior vice president of player personnel, this is invaluable. And you see coaches endorsing PFF. You see, you know, in the NCAA endorsing PFF. How have you guys been able to capture this large market in such a short period of time. You know, you mentioned Neil, and Neil had a, a hobby, honestly, that he was super passionate about. And I feel like that's something that you always hear in stories where there's a success at the end, is someone's just really passionate about something. And I don't know anyone that loves football more than that crazy Englishman, Neil Hornsby, who, who if you've ever heard, his accent is startling. As, as is his football knowledge. And Chris tells a great story about the first time that he uh, ever talked to Neil. He had heard about PFF, I think, after the Giants won their first Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl and um, mentioned PFF, right? I think it was actually maybe their second one. And had mentioned PFF because they'd been using it. And he calls up Neil and he tells the story. He goes, I, I thought I dialed the wrong number because when I heard him say hello, I was like, this can't be it. Some Brit's going to tell me about football. And he says, you know, within 10 minutes, he goes, this guy knows more about football than I do. And it's a testament to what analyzing every player on every play and every game can do. And and also being humble about it, saying, look, I'm not going to let my preconceived notions or beliefs about a player draw me in any direction. I'm going to be brutally honest with how they've performed on that play and in that game and in that season. And I think it's helped. You know, it's obviously helped our company a ton that Chris has invested and, and, you know, is such a hands-on. I talk to Chris more than just about anyone. He has a wealth of of knowledge, obviously, but he leverages PFF. He really cares so much about when he's calling a game, being right and being accurate and doing a service to the game that we're watching, the best game of the week. Um, And I hear the impact of PFF in, in basically every game that he calls, if not every play. Um, and it's, it all comes down to passion. You know, Neil was passionate about it. Chris is passionate about, um, you know, calling the game of football. And I'd like to think that myself and all the people that work, um, you know, kind of in, under the cover of darkness in Cincinnati, we all love football too. And so it makes grinding uh, those extra few hours, whether it be coding something up or watching, you know, an extra few games um, of film, makes it easy. So uh, I appreciate all the kind things you said. We're going to, we're going to hook you up. You have been 
uh, very kind. We might even have to get you on the forecast. I don't know how you feel about that. Man, I feel real good about it. But listen, <laughs> I got I got to ask. Well, no, I have to ask this question. And you know, if you watch Sunday Night Football. Chris Collinsworth, it's shameless plug for PFF every Sunday night. You know, he's saying something about a PFF stat. But the thing that I find very remarkable is the fact that coach like Coach Mike McCarthy in, you know, the year before before he received the job as the Cowboys coach, he, that was one of the things that he delved into. He talked mm-hmm. to Peter, Peter King about that in an, interview, in, a, in an interview saying that how valuable pro football focus was to him revamping his strategy as a coach and optimizing his play calling, everything from that to grading players. And, and like I said, for you guys as an organization, coaches swear by you. How did you earn that trust so quickly? Well, One of the things that Chris does every single week, and this is a part of the production of Sunday Night Football, is like he talks to every coach. Um, And I mean, the Packers were on a few Sunday night games in their day. So, you know, he's talked to Mike McCarthy plenty of times, and that's how they prepare. And so coaches have become familiar with us in really two ways. Their departments, whether it be analytics or scouting or their coaches, are leveraging it on a daily basis to help prepare for games, to evaluate players, um, you know, just to watch film more efficiently. Um, and then on the other side of things, they see, okay, well, you know, people calling the games, and you're, you're right about this, are using it to to talk about the game more eloquently. And so, coaches have become very familiar with it. And Mike McCarthy, who I had the pleasure of sitting down with and talking to for about an hour when he came to Cincinnati, um, you know, they're able to let their hair down and just be like, Hey, I'm going to come here and I'm going to talk football and I might learn a few things. I might push back on a few things. We learn so much. Um, yeah, I think it's always fun to talk about how much you teach other people, but I've learned a ton from listening to, um, you know, the different coaches we talked to, uh, at the combine as well. Um, and I am excited to see what this Dallas Cowboys team can be because Mike McCarthy did a lot of things that were innovative. I mean, everyone thinks about that end with Aaron Rodgers, and it was ugly. Um, I mean, I-, I talked to some people that were questioning whether Rodgers was realistically kind of throwing him under the bus with some of the, his play. Um, so that's about as ugly as it gets. But before that, there was this offensive explosion that Green Bay had. I mean, they had a great quarterback play. Obviously, they had great receivers. Um, but that was one of the best offenses year in and year out. And now in Dallas, he's got a nucleus that honestly is not that dissimilar. I mean, they've got three stud wide receivers that you're excited to watch. They have a great offensive line. They have a quarterback that, look, Dak Prescott is not Aaron Rodgers from the talent perspective, but he's pretty darn good. And if he brings some of these new efficiencies that he is fine-tuning with, whether it be situational play calling, whether it be going for it on fourth down, um, things that he has, uh, you know, maybe he'll admit in some situations has messed up on in the past, um, that could make for a really exciting season. So, um, you know, not, not to get too carried away with it, but I am really, the, the Cowboys are one of the teams that I'm most interested in seeing um, this season, God willing, we have one. 
Yeah, we're gonna have one, man. <laughs> we're gonna have. One. I'm just claiming it right now. But you, you, you kind of segue into something that I really want to talk about, and that's Dak Prescott. And you know, Pro Football Focus has a very interesting perspective on how you guys grade quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, from formation to empty, you know, to to no pressure, to pressure, things like that. And when you look at uh, Dak's grade from his first year all the way through the fourth year. Pretty much average. He's about high 70s, but first year in the 80s, fourth year in the 80s as well. And that's indicative of, of all the yards that he's had. Looking at the lack of an extension and Dak playing under the franchise tag. And the thing that's alarming about it is historically franchise quarterbacks have never had to play under the franchise tag. Were you, and it's too, I guess this question is too, two-sided, were you surprised that Dak didn't receive a an extension based off of those numbers and what do you believe Dak Prescott has to do to be considered amongst that upper echelon of quarterbacks in the NFL? Great question. I, I was surprised. I guess I'm less surprised this year than I was surprised that he wasn't one of the first players they went to lock up. And, um, you know, I think sometimes you are faced with the t- ton of different situations and obviously the Cowboys were and you kind of you know you maybe lose track of which one is really the most important if I looked at all those players that the Cowboys had to lock up um, Dak was one with a bullet because it doesn't matter who your stud receiver is it doesn't matter who your running back is it doesn't matter who your edge defender your best edge defender is if you can't have a quarterback throwing the ball accurately and making plays so I thought that following looking just at the Philadelphia Eagles, what they did with Carson Wentz, which I thought was a really shrewd move, which is to say, look, I know the price for quarterback play, maybe the hardest to find skill in the world is only going up. I mean, it's only there's no way that it's going down. And so locking a guy up early would make sense. So after they decided, you know, they're not going to do that. It then made me less surprised this year that they couldn't come to an agreement because clearly the Cowboys had a view of Dak Prescott that he was not as valuable as Dak thought he was. And if you look at what the franchise tag gives him this year, which is about $32 million, and then you go, okay, well, next year, I mean, how bad does he have to play to not be worth another franchise tag? Because there aren't quarterback options growing on trees. We saw with Kirk Cousins, he didn't have that great of a year after his first franchise tag. They had to tag him again. You just don't have that many options. So to me, the Cowboys put themselves behind the eight ball, and Dak Prescott is now the guy with the leverage. I mean, he's got an amazing supporting cast around him. He's already had, you know, arguably his best year. His rookie year was great, but I thought last year he kind of put the team more on his back. He was our third most valuable player using wins above replacement uh, over the course of the regular season, which is, you know, I mean, that – is a testament to what he kind of took on himself. Um, and now as a coach, I thought Kellen Moore did a great job of leveraging the passing game in the right situations. And now I think with McCarthy, there's going to be an extra bit of innovation, um, willingness to let Dak shine, that um, betting on yourself in that situation sounds pretty appealing to me. So, um, so yeah, I, mean, I guess what I'm saying is I, I'm surprised the Cowboys missed it a year ago. And at this point, I'd be very surprised if they are able to get Dak Prescott at any sort of discount ever again. 
Yeah, the, everyone knows the price is going up. It's not going down. And, and like you said, the franchise tag, $32 million, and next year, I believe, is $37 million. And so that's $69 million in two years. And I don't think Dak would be disappointed with that. <laughs> Neither would I. <laughs> None of us would, George. None of us would. But the truth of the matter is, is that you, you know, you've seen this circumstance with Kirk Cousins. But at the same time, when you find a young guy like Dak Prescott and you just look over the years at the numbers, it's in my opinion, and based off of what I'm getting from Pro Football Focus, Dak is trending in the direction of your upper echelon quarterbacks in the NFL. And it's it's hard because you go, okay, well, I just saw the Kansas City Chiefs win a Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes is transcendent. I mean, you're not going to find a Patrick Mahomes just you know, in the next draft, right? Or the next 10 drafts or the next 20. I mean, how often do those guys come around? And so you say to yourself, okay, well, where's the cutoff? Like, where can I win with a quarterback? And I'm looking for a guy that can have a top 10 season. And I believe that Dak Prescott is a guy capable of having a top 10 season. I mean, if you were drafting quarterbacks right now, and, and we did at, at PFF uh, a few weeks ago, which I thought was a really interesting exercise. We drew, redrafted the league. He was a guy that went in the top 10. And I think that's right on. I don't think he's a guy you take in the top five, but you're not going to find those guys, uh, you know, just at, at, at will. You can't say I'm going to get rid of Dak Prescott and go find myself a top five guy. I mean, that's not going to happen. So um, I think you have to pay for a top 10 quarterback and you have to understand that you're probably going to set, you know, some sort of standard. Um, I think Mahomes was interesting in that it was definitely a bar that was, you know, raised a bit, but it wasn't as much as people want to believe. I mean, it was a 10-year deal. It was basically kind of these two five-year deals. Obviously, the total figure was massive, but it also allowed them to sign Chris Jones. You know, like the, the money that, that Patrick Mahomes is getting over the next two years is about what Miles Garrett is getting. Right. So, you know, so I, there are different ways to look at these things um, than just kind of the overall, you know, macro view. And and with quarterbacks, you're just going to have to set, you know, some of those, um, you know, those parameters. You're going to have to extend them a little bit and you're going to have to accept it. And not every guy is going to be Patrick Mahomes. But if you can get top 10 play, it's worth it because there are 10 guys in the world that can give that to you. And and Dak Prescott it was weird. His rookie year, he had such a good supporting cast. And then kind of throughout the organization, I felt like from coaching on down, it really petered out in those next two years. And with Amari Cooper coming in, a receiver that could actually get open, and now he's got three of them. He's got a solid offensive line. I would say what we saw last year is way more indicative of what we'll see going forward than anything else. Now, we're going to switch over to the other side of the ball. And I, and the question is about our linebacker, linebacking core. The thing is, two years ago, PFF had Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch ranked as the top duo uh, of linebackers in the NFL. And that's saying a lot with the kind of youth uh, and talent that there is at the linebacker position. Obviously, last year, man, not the same, right? The, uh, the percentages are way down. Leighton Vanderish, obviously, dealing with the neck issue. And also, I'm sure Jalen Smith would agree that last year wasn't possibly his best year, statistically. Going forward and looking at this new Cowboys defense, and you and Eric have made a lot about past 
rush versus pass protection and things like that. Uh, but just the efficiency of the linebacking group from the, for the Dallas Cowboys, how do you see the improvement there being something that adds to the overall success of the Cowboys defense? Something that we try to talk about is going from season to season, people are really tied to what they saw the last year. So they see a defense play well the last year and they go, all right, they're going to be dominant again the next year. And there's a way to test this mathematically. How confident should you be? And defense is something that you just don't have a lot of confidence in from season to season. Things fluctuate. And a lot of that is because they're playing defense. The offense is the one that decides where to go with the ball. So they control a little bit more of these things. And so just by its very nature, defense is more volatile. And then you've got things like injury, right? Leighton Van Der Esch was great, and then he was injured, and he wasn't so great. I want to say his missed tackle rate doubled last season. Jalen uh, Smith was not quite himself either. But we just came out today with uh, our linebacker unit rankings. My man Steve Palazzolo uh, put them together. I have a couple of beefs with him there. Let's not, you know, let's not mix that up. But he has the the Cowboys at number two. I'll let everyone listening go find out who number one is. I'm not sure I quite, I guess I kind of agree with it. Um, but that tells you the potential for these guys. Now, it comes down to health, and it also comes down a little bit to luck. Are you playing a bunch of great offenses that can take advantage of you because um, the offense ultimately dictates things? But here's what I like about both those guys. They're both athletic, and they can cover. And if I am thinking about a linebacker in today's NFL, I know we – you know, sort of tuned to think about linebackers, a guy that's a hard hitting, um, you know, football player, but their ability to cover is the number one thing that I'm looking for. And both those guys have shown the ability to do that. So if I'm looking at, at what could be, yeah, they could be the best linebacking unit in the NFL this year, certainly. And they're one of the teams that has the best chance to do it. Okay. Now the, I'm telling you, I've heard a lot of fascinating arguments from you and Eric, and I think that one, it, when it comes down to pass coverage versus pass rush, is very intriguing. And, and I think you used uh, the example of you use an illustration of Aaron Donald beating his guy and and getting a sack, but you attribute Jalen Ramsey value add to Aaron Donald getting the sack because you, on average, quarterbacks pass the ball two and a half seconds, and Jalen Ramsey just making the quarterback hold the ball for that tenth of a second creates that value for Aaron Donald. Now, that permeates not just through the coaching staff with bringing in guys or drafting guys like Jalen Ramsey. That also goes up to the general manager and how you pay guys when you look at it on the back-end side being creating that value. I think that when you talk to football purists, the, the knowledge is build from inside out and not outside in, but the numbers are supporting different. Speak to that, man, and how that changes football. It, it's, a, it's definitely a nuanced conversation, and I think sometimes you can throw out, you know, we live in, in a world where you've got to get your point across in 10 seconds and, or 140 characters or less, ideally, and so you'll say something like pass rush is more valuable than coverage or pass rush matters more than coverage. And immediately you've offended someone <laughs> because you made it seem like their life's work as a pass rusher does not matter. And that's not the case. But the prevailing conventional wisdom has been pass rush matters way more than pass coverage. I think honestly, a lot of it is because 
what do you watch on TV? Well, you see a quarterback and you see the pass rushers and sacks are certainly super important. Um, but those happen few and far between, right? So what is happening on all of those other plays and coverage plays a massive role, especially now that the passing game is so important. And so, you know, it's not, it's not something that's impossible to test. We grade every coverage player. We grade every pass rusher. And you can test out the value of having high grades for pass, a pass coverage unit versus high grades for a pass rush unit. And what you see is being elite as a coverage unit versus being elite as a pass rush unit, the difference is, is like almost two wins on average in the favor of the coverage unit. And I think this has been borne out in a lot of successful teams. I'll give you a couple of examples here. Uh, the New England Patriots have invested in a multifaceted coverage unit. Their defensive backs are awesome. They stifle teams. And if you can name a pass rusher on that team right now, and you're not a Patriots fan, I applaud you. You know, like there, there aren't that many. I mean, their leading guy in terms of pressures last year was a reject off-ball linebacker named Kyle Van Noy from the Detroit Lions. Like he wasn't good enough for the Lions and their terrible team. So um, that tells you about the ways that you can scheme pressure. You know, you can blitz in creative ways. You can run stunts. But in coverage, yeah, you can put guys in a position to win. But as you spoke to, if Jalen Ramsey can't cover for two seconds and you're playing a good quarterback, you're, you're done. And I'll take it one step further. Even if you have a good number one guy and a good number two guy, if your number three guy can't cover, guess what? I can pick on him all day long. So not only does it take understanding the value of coverage, it takes investing in it a lot because you have to put five guys out there that can cover. On the defensive line, you can get one guy. You know, if you have Aaron Donald, you have a pretty good pass rush. So thinking about all of those components can help you invest. You know, I would take tons of shots at defensive back be willing certainly more amenable to paying um some great pass rushers because i'm confident they'll be able to continue that play and i'm confident that they'll help my pass rush as a whole but it might make me shy away from being the chiefs and paying two guys you know that much money so there's so many different ways it comes into play it's a fascinating conversation it's i'm glad we're able to have that conversation here <laughs> instead of me just offending you know 90 percent of the people out there by telling them pass rush doesn't matter the, the, the analytics movement is here. Either you get on or get rolled over, basically, <laughs> is, is the term for this, man. But look, those are all of my tough questions. I am, it is, man, it, I'm honored to have this opportunity to talk to you because, look, man, I, I'm a part of that analytics community. I, I think it's taking over football and their situational awareness is everything. And when you can maximize on that, uh, that's where you and guys like Eric come in. And so, but listen, man, this is the exciting part of the show. Because I'm ready. at my rapid fire questions, they're just random things that I think around the house when I'm doing my chores. And I figured I'd ask you these. All right, George. So I'm ready for you. Guacamole or hummus? Oh, I'm Lebanese. So a real good hummus is is going to get it for me. But man, comparing it to guacamole is tough because I, those are like my two favorite foods right there. <laughs> But I have to side with my nationality. I have to. I have to do that. <laughs> you know, I know. All right. Now, are you a DIY kind of guy or are you an Angie's List kind of guy? I'm a DIY kind of guy because I hate spending like an extra $25, $30 on something that I'm not, I'm not eating, basically. I'll spend it on good food and everything else I got to do it myself. All right. All right. Now, 
you're you're all right. You're you're a fitness guy. So if you got one set, you're going to max out, and you're going heavy, and you need that one jam to play through your earbuds. What's that one song? Man, I was just thinking about this, and I had such a hard time. Um, I am going to go with "Till I Collapse" by Eminem. Um, all right, my yeah. man, my man. Okay, so. Opening day, you get an opportunity to sit in in a stadium, Chargers and Rams game. Whose side are you sitting on? L.A. Chargers and L.A. Rams. Uh, I'm going with the L.A. Rams. Um, I like Sean McVay. And, uh, yeah, I, that's that's about where I'd go. I, I, the, it's a tough one because I was in SoCal for a good part of my life and before either of those teams were there. And I have friends that have latched on. They be, they've jumped on the bandwagon. They've all jumped on the Rams bandwagon. So I'd, I'd be sitting with my friends there. All right. All good. Now I'm going to say a name and you tell me what you think about this guy. Terrell Owens. Entertaining. Entertaining. All right. Now I heard he was one of the guys that got you to watching football. So I'm yep. thinking, yeah, T.O. is your guy, right? I, I love T.O. I mean, I, I will never forget where I was standing when I watched that incredible catch, the catch 2.0. Um, I just found him so refreshing. I find him funny in an organic way. And those are people, we all know those people, right? Where you're like, just being around that guy, I'm going to laugh and have a good time. He made me really enjoy the game of football. I, I don't think he gets enough credit. Too many people hate on T.O. I'm with you on that, man. Now, George, tell the people how they can find you on social media. You can find me, uh, PFF underscore George. Um, You'll find my sarcastic comments, know that. Um, and occasionally I'll throw out a good stat here or there, I'll probably point you in the direction of some good PFF content. Um, because the person that probably enjoys reading the articles that we pump out more than anybody else is, is this guy right here. So I'll lead you in the right direction. Um, but you can follow our main handle as well, PFF on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. Um, we've got some real talented people putting some good content out there. So. Wherever you're looking, we've got you covered. Hey, George, don't you worry about the, the gym's closing, my man, because you still look <laughs> like the best crop top model I ever seen, man. <laughs> you're the man. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Man, thank you so much. And thank all of you for joining us here on Talking Cowboys. We'll see you.